0: James, in chapter 2, we'll read verses 14 to 26. Please stand together with me for this reading from God's Word. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing... About his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead.
1: Brothers and sisters, home from the Katrina relief trip, thank you for being our hands, our feet expressing our heart to those needy people in Mississippi. It's good to see your faces, and that's an answer to prayer as we held you up. And it's good to have Dennis and Clara Hoskins with us as well, and brother and sister, we sympathize with you in the loss of Dennis's stepfather, but we also rejoice to see you here as Again, evidence of God's answer to our prayers to uphold and to sustain you. We love you and thank God for your return to us. It's good to see all your faces. We've been apart. And we dare not take it for granted that we'll just be here the next week. People slipped into eternity this week on the highways and hospital beds. But here we are. God intends to meet with us and has something to say to us. And we have the privilege of looking on each other's faces and encouraging each other along the way. Some of you are memorizing the book of James. It's tough work. So I just want to say keep it up. Don't quit. If you have quit, start again. Redouble your efforts. It's worth it, its dividends will be lifelong. And if you obey what you're memorizing, they will be eternal. And if you're not memorizing the whole book of James, let me put in a plug just at least to memorize James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. The portion read again this morning for the third time as we've met together. It's a crucial portion of God's word. For it tells us how to distinguish between saving faith and a faith that doesn't save. How to tell the difference between a living faith and a dead and useless, good-for-nothing faith. Now, it's a neglected portion of God's Word, and its neglect by the church today allows a lot of dead faith to go hidden under the name of Christianity and religion. That simply means that there's a lot of religious people who are going to their graves thinking that they are ready to meet God because they have a kind of faith. But it's not the kind that saves. And I say if the first century Christian church needed to hear this message, perhaps we in the 21st century ought to be memorizing it. Now, this is our third week in this section of James' letter. I meant to finish last week, but we didn't get all the way to the end. We left two verses undone, verses 25 and 26. And so we'll seek to finish those verses this morning, where James takes us to a house of a former prostitute, and then, secondly, to a funeral home, and then, will address apparent problems between James and the Apostle Paul. Now, just briefly, what have we seen so far in James 2, this portion, the last half of James 2? He first gave us two examples of dead faith, the kind the demons have, and the kind that the armchair philanthropist has, who says, I love you, but doesn't do anything to help you. And then he turned to giving two examples of living faith, the kind that really saves, that's genuine, Abraham and Rahab. Last week, we looked at Abraham and just two snippets of his faith, two faith events in his life. We saw him first, and here he is. He's under the the starry, starry night sky. And he's looking up as if he's trying to count them. And he's he's smiling and he's he's perhaps even laughing to himself. I can't believe it. Can't believe it. Here he is, a 75-year-old man and getting older and his wife's barren. And God said that we are going to have a son. And from him, my descendants will be as many as the stars in the heaven. What are we looking at here? We're looking at faith. Abraham is taking God at his word of promise and is believing him. And therefore, God is crediting righteousness to his account in heaven. He believed God and received righteousness through faith alone. There were no works that night under this, the starry sky. But then we see him again and it's. It's, it's much later. His beard is longer. It's whiter now. And the boy has been born and he's grown up and he's the apple of Abraham's eye. And he's not looking up at the stars now. He's holding up a knife. And his son is stretched out before him on an altar. And he's ready to plunge that knife into his one and only son. And we say, What's going on here? In Abraham's life. This is faith in action. He is doing this because God commanded him to. And the very same faith that stood under the starry sky and believed God is now working. It's now doing something because now there's more than a bare promise. Now there's a command to obey. And Abraham shows that his faith under the starry sky Was real, genuine faith. Because when there's a command to obey, he rises to the occasion. That same faith that did nothing but believe that night. That same faith produces obedience and moves him to obey when God gives a command. Now this is no dead faith then, is it? It's no mere claim to have faith without deeds. This is the real thing. The kind of faith that saves, that brings the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. And we notice it's a living, powerful, energizing principle that changes the very way that we live. We do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. So how do you know if you have this kind of faith? The the faith that really saves? James answers, you know it by its deeds. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So I see a girl and she's standing under the promises of the gospel. And Jesus Christ is promising salvation if she'll come to him. And the promise is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And she says that she's believing. She says that she's trusting in Jesus to save her from her sins. Well, how will we know that she has the kind of faith that saves? And James says, well, follow her home. Follow her home and see how she how she Treats her parents. How she treats her brothers and sisters. See what she does at work. At school. At play. With friends. When she's alone. And especially see what she does when she sins. What does she do then? What does she do with God's commandments? You see. Genuine faith. if, If it's real. And she's really resting on Christ alone to save her. Then it will be seen. In her life, deeds of obedience to God's commandments will follow. Deeds of holiness, repentance, and charity. So that's what we learned from Abraham last week, his example. Now, James' choice of Abraham is is a no-brainer. We understand why James chose Abraham as an example of living faith. He is the father of the faithful. And most of James' audience would have been converted Jews. Indeed, most of the Christians in the the early going of the gospel after Christ's ascension were Jewish Christians. And so they would have known all about Father Abraham and they would have held him in the highest regard because of his faith. But I say that the second example that James points to is quite startling And if it's startling for you, think what it would have been to that Jewish Christian when James points secondly, for an example of living faith, to Rahab the prostitute. The contrast with Abraham couldn't be any greater, could it? A man, a woman, a Jew, a Gentile, a patriarch prostitute, an old believer, a brand new believer. Think of all the people that James could have chosen as another example for saving faith, a faith that's real, that's active. Why not David? Why not Daniel? Why not Moses? Noah, Joshua, Caleb, Caleb? But instead, the harlot of Jericho? Yes, sir. Why her? Well, perhaps some would say they cannot identify with someone so great as Abraham. After all, come on, James. He's the father of the faithful. God came and talked to him specially, one-on-one like no one else. And, and all the privileges. He, you can't expect us to measure up to Abraham's faith, can you? Okay, how about Rahab, the prostitute? Can you measure up to her faith? Well, they think this is a slam dunk. Everybody thought they were better than her. But watch out, or she will put you to shame with her self-denying deeds of faith. Now, this Jericho woman with such a filthy past, came to believe in the God of Israel. Wonderful story. Historical event. She eventually even marries a prince in Israel and is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. She didn't know much about God, but she believed with all her heart. All that she did hear about him and her faith was not without deeds, but was followed up with actions. Her faith is living and working even as Abraham's. And that's why James chooses her. Notice verse 25 in the same way. James two twenty-five. 25 in the same way was not even even. Do you see that even Rahab, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did. We've just seen that Abraham was considered righteous for what he did as he offered his son, Isaac, on the altar. And we saw his faith and actions working together, showing that his faith was genuine. Now, in the same way, Rahab shows that her faith is genuine by her deeds. And notice In the same way, on this score, saving faith does not work differently in Rahab than it does in Abraham. As different as they are, they are used by James to nail down the same truth. That no one has ever been counted righteous before God by a faith that did not produce good deeds. Faith that justifies is always proven by a life of holiness. No exceptions. Whether you're the father of the faithful or a prostitute in Jericho, whether you're a preacher or a stripper, whether five years old or 75 years old, whoever you are, whatever you've done, If you come to have saving faith, it will produce a holy life. And there are no exceptions to the rule. Evidence. Abraham and Rahab. Now, what were her deeds exactly that proved, that that demonstrated that her faith was, was the real thing? It wasn't just a claim to faith, but it was real living faith. What were the deeds in Rahab's life that demonstrated real faith. The story's told in Joshua 2. It's a familiar story to you children, and I trust to all of us this morning. Israel's about to cross the Red Sea. They've been forty years in the wilderness. The Promised Land is right before them. Only the Re- I am sorry, the Red Sea. Uh, only the Jordan River separates them from the Promised Land. And the first city inside the Promised Land is this city with high walls it seemed impenetrable. Jericho. And that's where they're going to attack first. As God has told them to go into the promised land. So Joshua sends two men to secretly spy out the land. They cross the Jordan. They get through the gates of Jericho. Which were open for business going in and out. And they make their way to the house of Rahab. And she hears who they are and makes a profession of faith to them, which is incredible for this Canaanite Gentile woman of such a sordid past. Listen to what she says in Joshua 2. I know that Jehovah has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now listen. For the Lord, Jehovah, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There's her profession of faith. She claims to have faith that God is God in heaven above and on earth below. But her faith is not, her claim to faith is not by itself. It's accompanied by deeds. It's living and active For verse 25 goes on to say, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Those were the deeds. She gave lodging. She welcomed the spies and then sent them off in a different direction. One commentator says they came in through the door. They were sent out through the window. As her house was part of that wall and she could send them out through the window at night. Now, what she did was very dangerous. If, if she'd have been caught, it would have no doubt been her life. She was harboring two enemy spies. You know that governments do not treat lightly or lightly those who aid the enemy as spies. Well, Jericho's secret service had caught wind of these two spies and heard that they had gone into her house. And so they came looking for them. But the Bible says that she took them up on the roof and hid them under some flax that she had drying out there under the sun. And then at night, she let them down by a rope through the window on the wall. She hid them and let them go. Now, that might not sound like much to you, but she was willing to risk her own life in order to spare theirs. She would have said, they're upstairs on the roof, under the flax That had been curtains for those two men who are now her brothers. For she too has come to believe in the God of Israel and put her trust in Him. What was powerful enough To make her jeopardize her own life for theirs. Well, in two words, the book of Hebrews says, or in one word, the book of Hebrews says faith. Just turn back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31. Because Rahab, the prostitute, is in the chapter of the Bible that lists some of the champions of faith which is the subject of James in chapter, the last half of the chapter. And so, verse 31 of 11 of Hebrews, by faith, this is what enabled her to do what she did. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient, with the rest of the city of Jericho, when Israel came calling in judgment. You remember how she hung out the scarlet, cord in the window, and she and all who were gathered inside that window uh, were spared. Now, this text tells you that what you read of in Joshua chapter 2 about her welcoming the spies, hiding them, secretly sending them off at night, all at the risk of her own life, what you're seeing is nothing more than faith, real faith in action. You're seeing the real thing. You're not seeing a claim to faith that's so common. You're seeing real faith. Faith is the power, it is the dynamic of a holy life. And it was her faith that produced such valiant deeds. That's the main part in the story of Rahab the prostitute. Don't miss it. For all else that interests you in Joshua chapter 2, don't miss it. That's what the New Testament highlights and puts an exclamation point on. In Hebrews 11, in James 2, her faith, it was real, it was working, was active. And it was because she believed all that she heard about the Lord that she acted the way she did. She chose to be identified with the Lord and his people and his cause rather than in the cause of her own people. The Canaanites at Jericho. She took God's side in the great contest. She cast her lot in with him and with his people, even though it meant risking her own life. Faith in action. Faith is the driving force behind it all. So, in spite of the great differences between Abraham and Rahab, they both demonstrate perfectly for us that faith, real faith, is not without deeds. It moved both of them to surrender what was precious to them, didn't it? Abraham surrenders the life of his son. Rahab surrenders her own life? Say, is that not almost sounding like one-upmanship on the father of the faithful? Who the Jews looked up to with almost some of them with worshipful veneration? James is a shocking letter. And he's saying that faith, real faith, works the same in Rahab the prostitute as it did in the father of the faithful. And her faith will put us to shame if we do not demonstrate our faith with self-denying works. say, isn't that what Jesus requires of all who would follow him? If anyone would come after me, he says, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Folks, that was Rahab. She gained life because she was willing to lose it. Have you let go of your life? Life the way you want it to go? Life going your way? Have you let go of that and placed it into God's hands? And following him, denying yourself? what you want to do and how you want to live, have you denied yourself that? Then you will gain life. Eternal life. Life God's way. Which is far better than anything you could have ever planned for yourself. Just ask Rahab. You see, some may read James chapter 2 and try to get off of James' hook by saying to themselves, well, I have deeds. Come on, I'm at church this morning. I even put money in the offering box. I sang the hymns, I prayed... I read my Bible. I've been baptized. Do you know that all those things can be done without any living faith? But notice the kind of deeds that living faith produces. It moves a person to do things that they otherwise would never do. Like give up your son. Like give up your life. These are self-denying deeds And so I must ask you, how much self denial is there about your church attendance, about your prayer life, about your Bible reading and obeying, about your commandment keeping, your giving? Or have you made all these things stand in line and fit into your self indulgent life? Don't claim to have. The deeds that accompany faith, if they are not the self-denying deeds that Jesus speaks of, that Rahab and Abraham demonstrate and that James is pointing to. Deeds that move Noah to build an ark in a place where there was no water to float it on. I say that would have interrupted his schedule for a few weeks. It was self-denying work of faith. By faith, Noah built. Moses chooses to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. That's self-denying. And he did it by faith. This is what faith produces. It caused men to be willing to suffer for the sake of God's kingdom, even to lose their life. They were put in prison, Hebrews 11 says. Flogged, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, tortured. They refused to be released. They they could have been released if they just deny the faith. No, their faith is real. They refused to be released. And so they were persecuted and mistreated. Chased from their homes. Yes, how would you like to be chased from your warm home out into the, the outdoor, the elements and so they wandered in deserts, in mountains, in caves, and holes in the ground. Have you ever thought of that? You're out in the, in the mountains, and, and you're looking around, and there's a hole in the ground, and there's a man in there. And you say, what are you doing in here? What would ever cause you to, to live in this hole in the ground? He says, because God has told me, Thou shalt not. Thou shalt, and I am obeying Him. It's by faith that they remain faithful to the Lord, even unto death. 22 times in Hebrews 11, by faith. These were all commended for their faith. What's driving such self-denying deeds? Faith. Don't think that there's faith And then there's works that are somehow unrelated to the faith. No, these deeds, these works are deeds of faith. They're produced by faith. So why are you doing these things that you say are deeds showing your faith? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because of faith that looks away to Christ and says, I want to meet with my Savior this morning. And he has promised that in the gathered assembly of his people, he draws near to have dealings with us. I'm coming because I have my eye of faith to meet with Christ. And I'm dropping money into the offering box because I want to further his cause. And I'm reading my Bible because faith wants to see Jesus in the scriptures. And faith wants to know what pleases Him. And I'm praying. I have an eye to my Savior in my prayers. Deeds of faith, you see. What is there of faith in all your religious deeds? If you're going to count them as evidence of saving faith, it must be deeds of faith. Faith that looks to Christ. Faith draws motive and power from him for all that it does. And faith aims at his glory in all that it does. This is the centerpiece of James' letter. Faith is the engine that drives a holy life. Faith is the power that moves a man down the tracks of God's commandments. Now he's going to further define this holy life through the rest of the the book of James, so get ready. He's going to tell you what what a tongue operated by faith looks like and what it does and so on. But in all of our studies from here on out, don't forget this, that saving faith is the living and active power behind what He is commanding. It's at the root of it all because this faith in Christ not only brings All of his righteousness over to my account in heaven. Glory to God, that's true. But this same saving faith that looks to Christ also brings to my heart here on earth the grace and power that I need to obey God. It does both. This faith is not just something that does some transaction in heaven and leaves me powerless here on earth. No, this faith is a powerful thing. Read Hebrews 11 and see what all it does. Read the life of Abraham and see what this faith does. Read Joshua 2 and see what it made Rahab do. Now, you cannot peer into the the books of heaven to see. I'd like to... To see if Christ's righteousness has been credited to my account. Well, the Bible tells you if you have faith in Christ alone, that's what happens. Oh, but James says, do you have the real faith? That's the critical thing. Do you have real faith, living faith? If so, then that righteousness has been put on your account. You can't peer into the books of heaven and say, I'd like you to open, Gabriel, over to to John Heaney, And I want to see whether Christ's righteousness is on that account. But James tells me what you can do, John, as you can see if your faith is producing the holy deeds of repentance and obedience and love and confession. And you can know if it's producing the righteous life here on earth, you can know that it has credited to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because all faith that justifies you in heaven will sanctify you on earth. Shirley Hawkins lives in a little town of Stowmarket now, and just a short distance away, over in Lothenham. Many hundred years ago, the Puritan William Gurnall lived and labored for over 50 years in the same congregation. You can go into the church graveyard and see a stone. You can go into the church building and see his name graved on that stone. The Puritan Gurnall wrote, Say not that you have royal blood in your veins and are born of God, unless you can prove your, pre- your pedigree by daring to be holy. Say not, James says, that you have faith it saves, if it is not found producing works, good works, in your life. So our ancestor Abraham and Rahab the prostitute Demonstrate that reality. By the way, Rahab did not continue in a life of prostitution. She's called Rahab the prostitute, though, even after she's saved. Isn't that something? Not so much as to shame her, as it is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness was enough to cover all her sin. Aren't you glad for that? That we're reminded she's Rahab the prostitute. Wow! Wow! Faith brings all the righteousness of Jesus to our account and all the power, the sanctifying grace and power of Christ into our life. No more evidence is needed. James is ready to hang his hat and and hang his case on these two examples of living faith. So at last he takes us to a funeral home for a visitation. And we arrive early because we don't want to get stuck behind that long line of people waiting uh, to get in. But we find when we get there that the room is already filled with people. There are bodies everywhere. And all the bodies are the same except for one. One body is different from all the rest in this all-important matter. That all the bodies in the room are alive, but one. They have breath in them. Their body houses their spirit. And so we're able to talk to them. And we can hear what they're saying and we can look into their eyes and see their pain and we can see them take their hand and wipe the tear from their eyes and we can feel the embrace of their arms around us as we embrace them. And then we come to that moment when we stand over that one body in the casket and everything is different. Now, all the features are the same. They're There's a nose and mouth and eyes and ears and a hand. But it's not moving. It's not speaking. This body is lifeless. There's no speech, no breath, no nothing, nobody home. It's the body without the spirit. And James says it's dead. It's dead. And what good is a dead body? It's unable to do anything for you. It's only fit to be buried, and the sooner the better. So where have we been for the last three weeks? James introduces his whole discussion on the place of faith in the Christian life. Real faith, living faith versus dead faith. With a question, Cindy, what good is it? It was a very practical question. What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And now we come to the end of the discussion with this vivid conclusion the closing answer to all to his question as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead what good is it it is dead It can't do anything for you, so bury it with all your other dead things. It can't justify you or sanctify you. It can't unite you to Christ and bring His righteousness to your account in heaven or His grace and power to your heart on earth. It's useless. It won't do you any good in life. It won't do you any good on the day that you die. It won't do you any good in the day of judgment. It won't do you any good a billion years from now in eternity So bury it. Bury it. Rahab's faith was no good, no dead faith. What about yours? Some of you this morning might need to have a funeral service and bury your dead faith. Maybe you've been claiming to have faith for five months. Maybe you've been claiming to have faith for 50 years. But James, as the mouthpiece of God, has demonstrated that your claim is not backed up by the works of faith. Bury it. Own it for the worthless thing that it is. Agree with God. It's useless God. Forgive me forever thinking I had something called faith. And come to Jesus Christ for real faith. For living faith. A faith that will bring the righteousness of Christ credited to your account and will bring power to sanctify you into your heart and life. Faith that will not only put you in good standing with God in heaven, but will enable you to live holy here on earth. You know, in talking with people, I find that some put off Christ because they say to me, I couldn't live the Christian life. I'm afraid I couldn't live the life. Well, of course you couldn't. It's a supernatural life. It's a life that takes God himself taking up residence in your heart. Through faith. That then produces all kinds of works. Because faith unites you to Christ the vine. And as a branch in the vine, you then begin to bear fruit. Because faith that's real. Unites you to him. His grace flowing to your heart. So we've seen the former prostitute. We've seen the funeral parlor come to this Christ for faith. Just lastly, a few concluding remarks about the problems between James and the Apostle Paul. You see, some people read this passage in James and say, well, how do you reconcile James and Paul? Well, I start by saying that friends do not need to be reconciled. They're just fine with each other. So it is with James and Paul. You can see them together in Acts chapter 15 at a council in Jerusalem. It was met to determine whether the Gentiles had to have certain works of the law added to their faith in order to be saved. Is salvation by faith alone for the Gentiles, even as it is for the Jews who are purified by faith? And Paul says, yes, it is by faith alone, without the deeds of the law, without any obedience on your part, that you will be counted righteous in heaven. And some people from Jerusalem had gone up and stirred up trouble in Antioch. So the church sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to hold a council to sort out this mess. You know who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem? It was none other than the brother of our Lord, James. And he listens to Paul and he listens to Peter who rises and gives testimony. He listens to Paul. And then he comes down right with Peter and Paul and the whole group that stand for the gospel of grace. And he's willing to, to write a letter and send it back with them to say, we're sorry about some people going out from us that troubled you about these things. Paul's preaching the truth. Salvation is by faith alone. In Christ alone. You know what he calls Paul? He refers to Paul and Barnabas as. Our dear friends. Who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need to reconcile friends. Paul and James are friends. They believe the same gospel. But somebody says, oh, but there is a problem, John. Because Paul says in Romans 3.28 that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And now James says in chapter 2 and 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Aha! We've got a contradiction. Their teaching is so contradictory, they too can't possibly be in agreement. Well, is that so? A group of doctors work together in the same office. And two patients are in the waiting room, and they get around to comparing notes. And one lady says, you know, Dr. Paul, he he told me to lie in bed at least 20 hours a day and not to do anything strenuous. And the other lady says, you're kidding Dr. James told me just the opposite. He said that I need to get out of bed and I got to get busy and start jogging and lifting weights. They shake their heads wondering how these two can ever get along in the same office. They must really get into it at times. They clearly don't agree with each other. And then we follow each lady into their doctor appointment. And what we learn is that they have two very different medical conditions. One is right in the middle of a problem pregnancy. So bed rest and no work is ordered. The others just had her baby three weeks ago. And she's lethargic. She's depressed. She's overweight. She's still lying around in bed all day. And the doctor orders, get out of bed and get to work and do something. The contradictions between the two doctors are only apparent. Each agrees with the other's remedy of the two very different persons. Now, it's the same with Paul and James in the scriptures. Any differences in their doctrine are only apparent. Each are emphasizing two different truths that both believe, but that the situations they're dealing with called for differing Remedies. So Dr. Paul and Dr. James are treating two different spiritual diseases. Both are equally deadly and damning errors. And that's why they're so serious and intense. Dr. Paul is dealing with legalism. Patients who think that they can be counted righteous before God because of the good deeds that they do. Ask them, why do you think you'll get into heaven? Well, because I go to church and I give money and I try to treat my neighbor. And they're... Leaning on their good deeds to get them into heaven. It's legalism. And so Dr. Paul insists that no works being done before conversion give anything. There's no place for anything of a work to even be called good before conversion in God's sight, and it will not earn your salvation. Dr. James is dealing in James chapter 2 with a whole different disease. It's called easy believism. These patients know that salvation is not by works, their own works, but rather by the works of Christ received by faith alone. They're very orthodox on this point. So they claim to be trusting in Christ to save them, not leaning on their own works. But their lives do not back up their claim. There are no deeds with their faith. Their supposed faith is standing by itself. There's not the obedience to God, the self-denying service to God. They're not doers of the word. So whereas Dr. Paul insists on no works being done before conversion in order to earn salvation, Dr. James equally insists on works being done after conversion, not to earn your salvation, but simply as proof of saving faith. They are the works that faith produces. Yes, faith starts out alone, just believing, but it goes on to obey. And does not stand alone, but is accompanied by deeds. Dr. Paul says if you're to be saved, it must be by faith alone in Christ alone without any trust in any deeds you've done. Dr. James says if that faith is real, then it won't stay alone, but will be accompanied by works. Dr. Paul attacks any thinking that your dead works will save you. Dr. James attacks any thinking that your dead faith will save you. Dr. Paul is emphasizing how to be justified before God. By faith alone, Dr. James is emphasizing how to show and to know that you are justified before God. By deeds that accompany your faith. Faith Faith-produced deeds. So these men are not in disagreement. You can go to Acts 15 and see that James agrees with Paul's preaching and his doctrine. And then you can read the epistles of Paul and see that he agrees with James. You know, Paul, he has his searching words to say about faith as James does in chapter two. Don't be deceived, he says in Galatians. Don't be deceived thinking you're saved. If you're sowing to please the flesh, you will reap from the flesh corruption, destruction. You must sow to please the spirit if you would reap everlasting life. Don't be deceived on this. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You see, there are two different issues and Paul agrees with James in what he's saying. And James agrees with Paul in what he's saying. What we find is that the highway of truth is a very narrow highway. And sometimes on either side of the highway, there is a sheer precipice going straight down to hell on each side. Now, not all truth is like that. Some truth is not such, of such importance that if you hold to it, you damn your soul. But sometimes truth is that way. And that's what Paul and James are showing. And so a guardrail has been put up on the right side of the road. Isn't this the way it is when you go over some pass and there's a guardrail on the right side of the road to keep you from that ditch lest you stray too far that side? But there's also a guardrail on the other side. Because often when you get over too far this way, you overcorrect and go into this ditch. And so there's a guardrail on either side. And that's probably what happened in first century Christendom and why James wrote the way he did in a letter perhaps as early as 40 AD. These Christian Jews had been saved out of what? A Christless Judaistic legalism that said, if you want to be right with God, just keep the law of Moses. You're doing fine. And some, Christians, some of these who are receiving the letter came to see that's not true. That's not true. Your own deeds can't get you to heaven. Never. It's only the works of Christ received by faith alone. And so they didn't fall into this ditch, did they? No, not at all. But you know what they did? They overcorrected. And they swung over. And they're getting ready to plunge into this ditch to hell. The ditch of easy believism that says, I have faith in Jesus. He kept the law for me, so don't talk to me about commandments and laws of God. No, don't talk to me about that. Jesus kept the law for me. And they use one truth to ruin their own souls with. And James is standing over here and he's erecting a guardrail on this side. He's saying, "Oh no, no, because if you have real saving faith in Christ, it will be active and you'll not go to hell thinking I've got saving faith when your life is not showing it because you've seen the guardrail. You've dealt with God's teaching over here. There's these two great guardrails that God has given us. And they are equally inspired by God. Don't hide lawless living behind the preaching of justification through the works of Jesus alone. That's a truth. It's a blessed truth. Hold on to it with both hands, with all your heart. But don't hide a lawless shabby life behind that preaching and plunge yourself to the bottom on this side. James says, if you've got the real thing, it'll be seen in deeds. It's a rare thing to find a Christian holding both truths with both hands. Faith in Christ that justifies is always faith in Christ that sanctifies. Faith in Christ that credits his righteousness to my account is always faith in Christ that brings power for living a new life. Yes, every one of us has this pendulum reaction built into us. Oh, may the Lord help us to hang on to both truths with all of our heart and to look to Jesus, whose righteousness it is, that is imputed to our account and imparted to our hearts. Both damning diseases are with us today. They're alive and well. They're in epidemic proportion. Be armed against both by the truth of God's word. If you found yourself deceived, hold a burial service for your dead faith and come and look to Christ and live. And that living faith will change the way you live. Christian, some here need to look to Christ for the first time. Some of us need to look for the thousandth time, for whatever our need Our sin, we look away to Christ. Is it for strength to persevere in trial? We look away to Christ. Is it to remain true and obeying His commandments? We look away to Christ. There's all that we need in Jesus. God has talked to us this morning. Let's talk to Him in prayer. Lord God, thank You for Your perfect law of liberty. We are imbalanced and imperfect at best as Christians and how we need to be balanced out with the truth that we find in Scripture. All of it. Teach us again this morning to embrace all that you've said for our good. And may it lead us to our Savior, to run the race looking to Him, He who can save us not only from the penalty of sin at the end, but from its very power, its reigning power in our lives today. We thank you for him. We pray in his name. Amen.